Well, good morning. Morning. Am I on? Am I good? All right. Well, I certainly hope after all that my sermon doesn't stink. That would be kind of a bummer. Uh, I want to say thank you to President Favara. Thank you to Central Christian College. Thank you uh, to the alumni. Uh, when I was here 10 plus years ago, um, President Favara was the professor of, I think, psychology, leadership, uh, he was a soccer coach, and I think he did about a thousand other things every day. But the thing that I remember most about both he and his wife, it wasn't the games that he coached, it wasn't the lectures that he gave. Whenever he was in a room or his wife was in a room, the room was better just because they were in it. They had compassion, they were kind, they were caring. They had an air of leadership, and I knew that whatever was happening, I could go to them, and that if I fell, they were going to be there to catch me. So I want to say thank you to you as well. I aspire that that could be said of me, and that's my hope and prayer for all of us, that that can be said of us. That the room, whatever room that is, our living room, the office room, whatever, is better just because we're there. So I stand here, and I'm grateful for many coaches. I'm, I'm grateful for Coach Romero, uh, coaches who helped push me in athletics, I'm thankful for professors who, who coached me through academics. I'm thankful for pastors who coached me through the moral challenges of life. When I was in high school, my coach told me something that has stuck with me for years. I had just gotten done thoroughly embarrassing myself, which wasn't a new thing. I reflect now that I was on the highlight reel of a lot of other people's videos, and that wasn't super great. But I had just made a mistake, he was my football coach, and I let the opposing team get onto my side and he ran for a 70-yard touchdown. And it wasn't one of those things where we're kind of all to blame, I was solely the one to blame. I made the mistake. So the coach pulls me out of the game. Now there's an issue, uh, two primary issues with this. The first of which was this was the first game of the season. The second issue was that this was the first play of the first game of the season. So after one play, the coach pulls me out and he has me come over. And this is not one of your fluffy coaches. I don't know if you've ever had fluffy coaches where they'll tell you something like, you know, you really learn more from losing, so you're the real winner here. This was, uh, so what just happened? And I said, you know, I, I wanted to go this way. I, I thought I read the play correctly. He said, oh, okay, and then what happened? Well, the, the guy, got around me, and then we said together in unison, and he ran for a 70-yard touchdown. He said something next to get me out of a tough spot that I now realize is actually life advice, and I'd like to share it with you. He said, when you don't do what you are called to do, what you are supposed to do, what you have been put in place to do, you suffer. He asked me how I felt, and I said, I felt about this big. He said, yeah, how do you think your team feels? And I look over and they're all ready to, to destroy me because this is the first play of the first game of our senior year. I said, they probably aren't super happy. He said, that's correct. He points to the scoreboard and says, for the rest of the game, we are going to have to play from behind. We are going to have to pull ourselves out of this because you made a decision independently of everything else. You didn't do what you were called to do, what you were supposed to do, and when you do that, you suffer the consequences those around you suffer the consequences, and now this is the situation that we're in. Now, I didn't get that at the time, and I would say I didn't really get that till much later. I thought this was just really good sports advice. 
But I learned this over and over and over and over again. When you don't do what you're called to do, what you've been gifted to do, what you're supposed to do, there's going to be consequences of some sort. I discovered much later that there's someone else who wrote a very powerful message, used very powerful words on the same topic. In the later book in your New Testament, there's a man by the name of James. And in James chapter 1, he's going to say the same thing that my coach told me, but he's going to say that the stakes are much higher, and he's going to use different words. In the grand scheme of things, a high school football game, really not that big of a deal. If you live your life based on the successes or failures of what happens in high school, I can't say anything other than that's probably a sad life. You can let that stuff be in the past. But James is going to say that life itself, this is a pretty big deal. So James says in the first chapter in his introductory words, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, all of us, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. So get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word that's planted in you. It can save you. Don't just listen to the word and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. A couple of interesting things about this author, James. Number one is he was related to the most popular man in all of human history. This is Jesus's brother. I've, I've often thought, what was it like growing up with Jesus? Was that difficult? We know from Mark 3 that he wasn't a believer. James and many of his family, they weren't believers. They actually thought their brother was maybe crazy. They said, hey, maybe you shouldn't be saying these things. But something happened. This man, Jesus, he lived this amazing, perfect life, taught really weird things, did some really weird miracles, right? But then he was tried, executed, pronounced dead, buried, and then just a couple days later, specifically three, he was alive again. And we know from the Bible that he makes, Jesus makes a very special trip to talk to his brother. Something happens within James. He not only becomes a believer, but James goes on to become a pastor. The leader of the Jerusalem church, which was one of the biggest and most prominent churches of the time. James is going to later be executed for preaching that his half-brother Jesus really was who he said he was, the Messiah, the Son of God. James realized that his calling in life was to teach and to preach about who Jesus is right up to his death. So in this passage that I just read and we just saw, James is telling believers how to live a holy life, a life that is set apart. He's not just saying what to do. This isn't just a to-do list. He's telling believers who they are. And out of the extension of who we are, this is the kind of life that they live. I lived most of my Christian life thinking that Christianity was a to-do list. Do this and this and this. Don't do this. Don't do that. You're going to get in trouble if you do this. And for my entire life, having that perspective of this to-do list, it was frustrating because my Christian life was a bunch of things that I couldn't do. I couldn't experience. It wasn't until I realized that who I was 
was a follower of his. That's why you don't lie or cheat or steal. Not because there's a to-do list, because that's not what a follower of Christ does. Not the kind of things that they are. What James gives us is, a, is one piece of wisdom linked to another, like the pearls of a necklace, beautiful jewel of wisdom that lets us know how to live our life, who God is and who we are in this great story. So James tells everyone, all of us, that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, I think we all know people who are the opposite of that, right? People who have a really short fuse that you look at them the wrong way, they're going to blow up, right? Or maybe that friend or that, that boyfriend or whatever, maybe someone you used to be with, you don't feel like you're being heard. Isn't that one of the most frustrating feelings? Like you put your heart out, you, you create this golden sentence that's going to solve all of your relationship problems or it's going to solve all their problems and they, they don't even accept it. Right? Maybe for us, this is that person in class who keeps sharing their opinion and not letting the professor speak. Right? Mmm, bad taste in my mouth. Right? Maybe it's the one that reminds the professor that you have homework due. Or the worst, the worst is when class is over and the professor says, hey, does anyone have a question? And that one person raises their hand and you're thinking, I will pay you real American currency to not do this to me right now. <laughs> Please. Please, I thought we were on the same team. James doesn't tell us not to speak. He doesn't tell us not to get angry. He says, be slow in getting there. Choose it. Be methodical in the process. He recognized that what we say and our anger, whether it's good or bad, whether it's righteous or unrighteous, is always dangerous. Always dangerous. Sometimes there are things that we need to speak out against and things that should frustrate us. We were just led in a song that was talking about addiction, that homelessness is on the rise. Mental health is in, in, in a decline. You turn on the news right now, there's some nasty things going on in the world. If you step out of your dorm room or out of class and you see a student that is abusing another student right there and you're not moved to some sort of action or some sort of words, then there's something wrong. But as the old saying goes, we've been given two ears and one mouth, so we should be listening twice as much as we should be speaking and be slow to anger. James goes on and says, get rid of all moral filth and evil to humbly accept the word that's planted in you. This is an action. It's participation in the work to actively get rid of the old, to drop the grime and the filth and the stains of the old and to accept the new. When I was here at Central, one of the things that really frustrated me was when somebody was coming in and they brought all of that high school stuff with them. Isn't that frustrating? Like that high school drama, that, that, that high school mentality. Some of us were trying to be new. Some of us were so caught in the past. This is what is happening. Get rid of that old stuff. Not just past decisions, but the past self. When we accept him into our lives, we don't have to live like the old anymore. James is telling us to trust God, who gives wisdom, who helps us. We control what perspective we choose. We control who we trust. We control what we do. James is telling us to learn to listen to other people, to see their perspective. It, it may or may not be true, 
Right? Just because you listen to somebody, that doesn't automatically mean that you agree with them. But that trains us to listen to God and to see his perspective, which is always true, and to humbly accept it, to display an attitude that we actually want to change. Humility. It's being coachable. To recognize that we were wrong or maybe we were the problem, then we can work on the problem and try to fix it. James continues, don't just listen, but be a doer of it as well. It's more than just being present. It's actually doing. More than just listening to sermons or, or trying to get chapel points or being part of team prayer meetings, right? I did all that when I was here. It's making a decision to turn what you hear into action. Pastor Zach said that you guys are, are walking through uh, being a fan and that you're not just a fan anymore. Fans are going to check in and out. They don't live the life. They don't do the practices. They're not at the rehearsals. They, they don't do the drills. They're not putting together the game plan. And then when it's time for the execution, they're on the sidelines spectating. They're watching. They show up and they consume whatever's being offered and then they leave. They're all about what can I get? We are a people who live a life about what can we give? A different person. The old is in the past. Welcome and love fully into the new. See, even if we surround ourselves with people who tell us the truth, people trying to desperately help us, unless we grab that for ourselves and let it change us, then what good was it? Think of what happens when your leader calls for a change. Right, you hear the shift, you know what you're supposed to do, but you don't do it. What's the purpose of even hearing it? So James concludes this little passage with this, this analogy of a mirror. He, tell us, he tells us what happens when we're just listeners, when we just sit there, when we just spectate. We see the problem, we know the issues, we know what we're supposed to do, but we fail to deal with the flaws. So you look in the mirror. You notice that your hair is crazy, you've got stuff in your teeth, you look somehow both too pale and too flushed, but then when you turn around, you forget what you just saw. Looking in the mirror reveals flaws, but the mirror is worthless if we don't work to fix what's going on. If the second we turn away, we forget what we just saw. The impression that's made by the reflection doesn't last, and the second that we're gone, we forget who we are, and we forget what we're like. Let me tell you this, what you give your time, your energy, your effort and attention to, it's actually a really big deal, especially right now. I sat in these same seats. For whatever reason, I always sat over there. It's just how the lottery worked. But I can tell you that as I was here, as I was at Parsons, as I was at basketball practice, as I do all these things, I started habits here and now that would lead me to great success in my life. But I also began to plant the seeds for habits that would lead to some of my worst failures. What are the things that captivate your attention? What would you say is your identity? Is it in Christ or is it in something lesser? When our practices become habits, it defines how we respond to situations. That's why we practice and we practice and we practice. So that when the game's on the line, the clock's coming down, then we show up and we know what to do. So that when the hundreds of eyes are looking at you, your fingers find the keys automatically. 
so that when we get ourselves into a tough situation where there's a choice between what's bad and what's good, we automatically start going to what's good. We know how to respond because we've already created the habits. The things that I set up when I was here would be the things that define me when I was on my own and that are going to define you when you're on your own and you're out there conquering the world. The awards, the degrees, all those other things that you heard about were an extension of who I decided to be when I was sitting in these same seats that you're sitting on today. When engaged in regularly, practices cease to be things that we do and start being who we are. You're no longer a guy who just does this. It's now a part of your identity. No longer a person who does this just for fun. Now you can't go a day without it. No longer just a guy who goes to church, who reads the word, or prays. You are choosing to be a follower of his. That has to mean something for us. It has to be something for us. We are called to do greater things, to live a life of holiness, success, and beauty, not as the world defines it, but as your heavenly Father defines it. So we have to make the choice. We have to choose, even right now, if we're going to do what we've been called to do. Are you going to give God glory, better further his kingdom, love God and love others? Because that's what this is all about. Now, I, I stand here and I reflect that I wouldn't have been at this college if it wasn't for an academic scholarship and if it wasn't for Coach Romero giving me a basketball scholarship. But I also recognize that I wouldn't be, be behind this podium if it wasn't for him seeing more than just a basketball player in me that he saw what I could be, what I was called to be, more than just someone who can put points on a board or can be an RA and keep people in line, someone who could be a good man, a great person. So although I reflect on all the wonderful things that I learned here, although I, I reflect on all the amazing things that I could bring with me and that expensive piece of paper that's gonna help open doors for you in the future, the thing that I took with me is when I go out there into the world, that I need to look for the Tony and Lindsay Romeros, the Lenny and Dee Favaras, the Larry Andersons of the world, the people that are going to challenge and be cheerleaders for you. They're going to surround you with love, push you to the next level, and help you when you fall short. So my challenge to leave this place how I'll close even this morning, is that when we look in the mirror, we not only think about who we are right now in this moment, but who we want to be. Who God has called us to be. That we will not just be a fan. This won't be a spectator sport. We won't just be hearers of his word, but we'll go out and be doers of it as well. Let us, right now, make the decision to be more than just a fan, more than just someone who hears what we're supposed to do, but someone who puts it into action. Thanks.